12 verses today. So we've gone for quality rather than quantity. And it splits nicely into three sections. But the message overall is called, Who is the Greatest? And the three sections, I managed to get them into R's. So there's a reminder to the disciples. There's arguing, which has got an R in it, on the road. And replicating or using the name of Jesus. So, yeah, the message today, who is the greatest? Who do you think is the greatest? Well, as I was putting this together, I'm not really a boxing fan, but my first thought was Muhammad Ali. He was called Cassius Clay when I first knew him. (laughs) And um, he always used to boast, I am the greatest! Or words to that effect. And for many years, he was unbeatable. And who remembers his song that was in the charts. Do I sing it to you? Yeah, go on then. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, he floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. Something like that. Who watched the football last night? Anybody? Yeah? So, who are the greatest football team now? City. Never mind. It will come again. What about music? Who's, who's, the best, who's the best rock band? Any offers? Queen, yeah? I'd got that down as the best single of all time, probably. What did you say? <laughs> Donny, well, I got... Well, I knew you'd say that. What about classical music? Anybody into classical music? Well, my mate, my mate Trevor, who was with us a couple of weeks ago, I asked him this, and he said Tchaikovsky and Swan Lake. Swan Lake. Yeah. Okay, I suppose I'd better go on with the message, really. Um, <laughs> if you've got your Bibles handy, we're in Mark 9 today. I'm going to read from verses 30 through to 32 to start. Jesus, again, predicts his death. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend some more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, And they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you, Lord, that although the disciples didn't understand about you then, thank you, Lord, that you are revealing yourself constantly to us here now today. And we ask for more from you today, Lord. More from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So our first point, a reminder to the disciples. 
Now, we're told at the start in verse 30 that they were leaving a region. Well, they were in my version anyway. Um, now, to somebody like me who likes geography and maps and stuff like that, um, I was curious, what region? Well, it was Caesarea Philippi, uh, which was a collection of villages at the foot of Mount Hermon on the main source of the River Jordan and about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Probably most famous for, and who remembers back in Mark 8, 27 to 30? No, I don't either. Um, yeah, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. That was there. He was there. Now at that time, Jesus had told the disciples to keep quiet about this. And here now, Jesus is being secretive again. He didn't want everybody to know where he was so he could spend more quality time with the disciples and teach them. What do you suppose Jesus was trying to teach the disciples? Well, I reckon it might well have come from Isaiah. And chapter 42, where Isaiah prophesied the Lord's chosen servant. Ten chapters later, 52, Isaiah prophesied again the Lord's suffering servant. And then in chapter 53, verses 3 to 6, we read... And this is talking about Jesus, obviously. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. I don't know if you've picked up, but in Mark's gospel here, there's been a bit of a shift of emphasis, a bit of a change. Last time I spoke, which was at the end of April, it was massive crowds, it was the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Now we're talking about disciples and training. So there's a big switch. Then Jesus was preaching to many, now... He's preaching to a few. And there's also a change in the emphasis of the, the gospel message here. And it's gone from the healing that, it, that comes from it. And now Jesus is preparing for the suffering that's going to come to the messengers of it. And Jesus is going to model this by telling his disciples that he is about to die. How is he going to die? He's actually only got about six months left to go before he's going to arrive in Jerusalem and be betrayed, falsely accused, 
horribly executed. Categorically dead. He's going to be categorically dead for three days in a tomb. And after three days, his father's going to raise him back to life. Time short. So he wants a classroom. He wants a classroom. He wants the disciples back in the classroom. And he wants to talk to them again about his death. I say again because he's already had two bites of the cherry. In Mark 8, 31 to 32. And then again in Mark 9, 9 to 10. So who remembers Mark 8, 31 to 32? Yeah, that was when Jesus had predicted his death for the first time. And Peter had taken him to one side and said, no. He argued with him. But he got more back than he'd bargained for. And Jesus came back and said to him, get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. So he tore him off a bit of a strip, didn't he? And when he said that, he said it so that all the other disciples could listen to it and understand it as well. So it wasn't just for Peter, it was for the whole, the whole band. Okay, on, in Mark 9, 9 to 10, it was a little bit different because there was just Peter, James, and John and the transfiguration. And as they were coming down the mountain, he told them again. But this time he told them to keep it quiet. So thinking about Peter here, he's, he's had a good old telling off first time. He's been told to keep quiet second time. So when it comes up again, yeah, he probably does understand what Jesus is talking about, but thinks, well, let's keep quiet about it. Jesus was crystal clear about his program ahead. Resurrection was the goal and not burial. But the disciples, they only seem to understand the words betrayed and killed and not rise. They had witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter. That message I brought back in March, I think it was. Mark 5, 41, where he told him, Jesus had told his daughter to get up. They hadn't yet seen the raising of Lazarus. That was John 11, 43 to 44. That's still to come yet. So the idea of resurrection was okay familiar but perhaps just a step too far at this moment unusual things can sometimes take quite a lot of time to sink in can't they however the disciples natural instincts about death was just to bury it in the sand and hope it would go away So now we are beginning already to see, to get this picture of who is the greatest for ourselves. Even if the disciples are still grappling with it, I think we, we can see it, can't we? Ultimately, Jesus would serve all of us by giving his life. Many of the disciples, they were going to suffer too. And of course, many others have suffered ever since. And even today, we're still blighted with injustice imprisonment and martyrdom okay let's go on to our second point which is arguing on the road uh, so we're back in the bible we're in mark 9 33 to 37 
And the headline here is the greatest in the kingdom. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the children in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this one on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Which house were they in? It was probably Peter and Andrews, but it doesn't actually say that. But. And why did Jesus ask the disciples about who they were discussing out on the road when he already knew? I guess he wanted one of them to, to fess up and say, it was me. Um, the message puts this very nicely. The silence was deafening. Of course, Jesus, of course, Jesus knows and hears everything any day. And this reminds me, sorry, Jill, this, this reminds me a bit of our joint bank account. Um, this was a few weeks ago now, and I decided to take my young sister, Tina, for a coffee at Morrison's in Verwood. She loves the cafe there, and it's nice and reasonably priced. And outside, there's a hole in the wall. And nobody queuing, so I thought, let's get a few bob out. And whilst I was still putting the money away, a text message from Jill. Can you pick up something from Morrison's? Didn't tell her I was going there. She just knew from where I'd got the cash out. I think it was strawberry trifle, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <coughs> anyway, <laughs> Jesus knew more than that. He even knew I was going to draw the cash out before I drew it out myself. Okay, back to the disciples. And after their pre private briefing with Jesus about the cross and the resurrection, you might have expected them to be all united and cosy together. But... Going back to Capernaum, I think they were probably thinking of massive crowds and at that time they'd all become highly competitive. Some taught that they'd assume that Jesus would somehow release their country from the grip of the Romans and he's going to need a team to form part of his government. So who would he be asking? Who would be in the top position? Okay, Peter, James, and John, they, they were in the transfiguration, so they probably think they're in the top three. But they haven't really grasped this at all, have they? About what Jesus is, is talking about here. And this is emphasized further in Matthew 18, 1 to 6, and also in Luke 9, 46 to 48 when they also mention about this arguing matter. Although in Matthew, the emphasis 
comes from the disciples actually asking Jesus who's the greatest rather than the other way around. We've seen here and, in, and as it was in Luke. And how are we doing in a world today where competition is everywhere and personal success is measured in different ways to what was measured by Jesus in those days? So as I bring this message today in Wimborne, Paul's at Verwood, is that right? Yeah, Paul's at Verwood, Dale's at Fordingbridge. Joel's here. His dad, Tim, he's a, he's a good preacher. Who's the greatest NLCC preacher? <laughs> Who's the greatest elder? Paul, Dale, Tim, Kane. Oh, Mark's here as well. Yeah. Life groups. Jan and Nigel, who runs the best life group? And so on. Sorry, I'm being a, I'm being a bit naughty here because... I'm just trying to emphasize a point. At the end of the day, we all need each other. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this. And I think, Paul, you brought this at your... <laughs> when you anchored last week. One body, many parts. Is that right? I thought I heard that. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. There's loads of it, so I won't do all of that now. But I've just lifted a few bits from the message just to sort of emphasize some of the points your body has many parts limbs, organs, cells but no matter how many parts you can name you're only one body it's exactly the same for Christ by means of his one spirit we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives piecemeal lives now, we each used to be independently calling our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant and not less. Still carrying on with parts of the message. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It is all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. And I could go on. And while I was putting this together, I had this picture of an orchestra. And I got thinking of my mate Tchaikovsky again, and I thought, well, he only comes up with the, with the music, doesn't he? He didn't produce it. He needed a a team around him, an orchestra around him, all in harmony to bring it all together. Okay, let's go back to the word. What did you, what did you, start again, John, come on. What did Jesus do in this instance? Well, he sat down as a rabbi with teachers, students, and he taught them the principles of servant leadership for his kingdom. He would have been quite within his rights to say something like, hey, you lot, I'm the greatest. But come on, he, didn't, he wasn't like that, was he? He was more focusing on other things rather than himself. So he says, 
Whoever wants to be first must take last place and the servant of everyone else. So Jesus challenges us to be the servant of all. This is in a world where a great man is determined by how many people serve under him. Now this is a good one. In ancient China, yeah, it's fashionable for for wealthy it was fashionable for wealthy people to, to grow their fingernails long so they didn't have to do any work. Any of the basic tasks get their fingers wet. This was supposed to show that they didn't need anything else. The servant would do it for them. I mean, it wouldn't work for me, would it, being a Bournemouth supporter? <coughs> Never keep them for very long. Jesus is telling us that greatness is not measured by intellect or physical strength. And it's not measured by being first hands up with the ideas, fastest with the delivery, or producing a perfect personal performance. No. Greatness is measured by service and not dominance. Sadly, the disciples have got it badly wrong here, and Jesus has corrected them. To drive the point home, taking the child in his arms was, a, I think, a brilliant visu- vi- visual aid and a master stroke. Because at that time, they were regarded more as property rather than individuals, seen and not heard. Jesus explained that his kingdom welcomed children who were weak, immature, and couldn't influence society. To value and to welcome the least in society was to welcome Jesus. He knew what it was like to be rejected, even though he was God in a human body. I mean, let's remember, he was born in a stable, placed in a manger, evacuated as a refugee, and returned to a multicultural area as a carpenter. So he's been through it. Isn't this different to how a lot of the value we see in the world today? How easy as it is for us to slip back into it? Jesus taught it like this, so we've got to try and not act any differently to that. As I was preparing this message, I sensed the importance to the church of serving the children's work and the welcome team. There again, I'm I'm highlighting other people because without them, the whole thing wouldn't work, would it? The PA. Basically, any of us that are involved in ministry, we are working for the greatest. And he wants to say a big thank you. The last bit we're going to do is Mark 9, 38 through to 41. So this was the third R, which I'd said earlier was replicating or using the name of Jesus. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. 
No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. So this was kind of on the back of the message that Paul brought, our Paul brought last week on Mark 9, 18, where the disciples couldn't cast out demons. So they were probably a bit miffed here that this other geezer does it and they couldn't do it last week or when it happened to them. So John got a bit upset and waded in and told the guy to stop and he was wrong, wasn't he? He needed a bit of a kick up the pants from the kingdom of God is not who follows us. It's about who follows Jesus. Okay, there may be people that are wrong in their presentation of things or teaching, but they're still supporting Jesus in some kind of way. So let's leave them be and let God sort them out later. We don't need to do that now. Who remembers Philippians 1, 15 to 18? The Apostle Paul. And he saw many people preaching Jesus from many motives. Some of those were evil. Yet he still rejoiced that Christ was being preached. Jesus didn't agree with John's harsh assessment of the situation. He knew the inner character of this guy who thought more of Jesus than himself. He was humble and he declared Jesus and not himself. Not like the disciples earlier that were arguing who was the greatest. Okay, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out at that stage. That happened at Pentecost. And at that stage, we had this blueprint within 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, setting out those spiritual gifts we enjoy today. And in which the name and glory of Jesus is more important than the glory of the minister or the glory of the church. Luke 3.17 tells us that the Lord will sift the wheat from the chaff and that also he knows who are his, 2 Timothy 2.19, and he will reward them accordingly. But before that final day, these verses are just there to warn us of the dangers of proud self-service as we claim to serve the Lord Jesus is the greatest and we're just very small cogs in a huge wheel so if you'd like to come back the worship group I'll just sum up there have been a number of instances here where things have been kept quiet firstly Jesus didn't want everyone to know where he was. And the disciples were so they could get on with the training that he wanted to, to put into them. Then it was the disciples' turn to, turn to go quiet. Jesus had told them about his forthcoming death and resurrection and they just buried their heads in the sand. The disciples were quiet again and Jesus challenged them about what they were doing out on the road. Of course, 
we all know who is the greatest. And then finally, when John should have been quiet, he wasn't. He was stopping people from doing God's work because he was in a different team. Father God, I just thank you for your, your word, Lord. We, think, we thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for us. Choosing to, choosing to serve us by giving us your life. Lord, we're sorry when we get competitive with each other and forget what you, what, that you have the final stay, say, Lord. Continue to make us work on this, Lord. Continue for everyone so that we're all depending on everybody else. Lord, we know you're the greatest. Help us to tell the rest of the world about this too, Lord. Help us to accept that people shouldn't be following us, but following you, dear Lord Jesus. We ask for that in your precious name. Amen.